Well, I'm blessed to uh, be up here this morning. Blessed I had a few minutes after Zeke and Bethany's testimony to gather myself. Um, if I had to come up right after that, I'd be like, where is Zeke and Bethany at? Thank you for just sharing and glorifying the Lord. Uh, what a blessing it is as a family, as a church family. Um, we love you, but you know what the coolest thing about their testimony for us is look what the Lord is willing to do to move them to where he wants to use them. And look at the obedience in their hearts to step away from all of this because we love them to pieces, but they're willing to go, I need to go where he's called us to go. And so we applaud that and we praise the Lord and I'm grateful and I wonder what impact they will have and how God will use them in the new community, in the new neighborhood, on the job, in the families, in the church, and how he has equipped you and prepared you for this. And how you would have robbed God of the glory if you would have said no. But in obedience, you follow. And we love that. So it's such a a bittersweet uh, testimony. But we love you. All right, well, I learned from Pastor Pat that if you turn this on, it works better. So... (laughs) I'm going to start with that. Um, like I said, I'm blessed to be up here. Um, normally, my audience is a little bit younger, um, but it's good. So I figured I'll speak fast. We'll go fast. It'll be a great day. Um, as I was talking to Pastor Pat a couple weeks ago, uh, we were laughing over lunch. We had a little meeting, and we thought, you know, wouldn't it be funny if we renamed, or perhaps we should rename the book of Hebrews to the book of therefores, because it is one of those books where the word therefore is hammered through everything. As if God was saying, remember this, think like this, live like this. It is vital in our relationship to Christ. So even as we jump into this passage, you know it's gonna start with therefore. And so why don't we jump in? And in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter three. Uh, If you are pulling out a Bible from the pew, That would be page 1197. If you're in my Bible, it's page 1219. I don't know if that's going to help you or not. All right, let's take a look. Hebrews 3, 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, And what is habit and what is healthy is when God pauses and the Holy Spirit is speaking through the writer and says, therefore, it's called upon us to look back. Let's just make sure. And I'm not going to go all the way back to chapter 1, but even just into chapter 2 and halfway through chapter 2 in Hebrews, let's see what we are being called to remember. Because Jesus shared in flesh and blood, verse 14, Because Jesus died to render the devil powerless over death. Verse 16, because Jesus gives help to those who have faith. Because Jesus is a merciful high priest who made payment for the sins of the people. And because he was tempted and suffered and is able to come to our aid when we are tempted. Therefore, back to verse 1, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. The writer in Hebrews sets the tone once again. Remember, remember, you're not just brothers and sisters in Christ. You're holy brothers and sisters in Christ, that you've been set apart, that you've been made right, that you've been declared holy, and this is so much more than just a club that we would attend 
or just a normal earthly family get-together. This is God's family coming together. Holy brothers and sisters. Partakers in a heavenly calling, reminding us once again that God is the initiator in all of this. The heavenly calling comes from the Father and says, come this way. He's the one who initiated it. Matthew 17, 5 says, God is speaking here and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The words of the Father calling out, saying, listen. Consider Jesus. And different translations, uh, consider might come across as fix your thoughts on Jesus. Think carefully about Jesus. Set your focus on Jesus. Another breakdown would be carefully consider, take note, perceive, discern, detect, observe. This is the one. This is the one to listen to. This is the one to look to. Look to. This is not a casual glance at Jesus. This is not a head nod from across the room. This is up close and personal. This is hands on his shoulders. This is looking into the eyes of Christ and saying, are you who you say that you are? Don't miss this. In studying this word consider, I wondered how many times people didn't consider something of value and missed out. And I read this awesome story because this this would so be me. This would so be me. All right, I'm going to see if this works. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I swear I put it on. It's on, baby. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff Iceman. You might have to be my clicker today. That didn't work, brother. Okay, so here's the fun story. So in researching this, I came across this article of this incredible artifact that was discarded after a garage sale. After many people went through and picked through the garage sale items, and the owners at the end said, well, this is a piece of junk, and they tossed it in the trash. No one took the time to consider, except for one person digging through the trash, came across this item and quickly took it to a specialist. Let me read a little bit from the article. It says this 2,500-year-old bronze cat bust, just that right there, gone from my possessions. I would not have a bronze cat bust uh, (laughs) ever, ever. So this originated in Egypt. Despite the immense history behind the figure, it was almost thrown away forever after a yard sale in Cornwall, southern England. The The cat was left over the cell, the cat was left over after the cell concluded, and the owners of this cat threw the figure away, believing it had no value. But luckily, someone retrieved the artifact, dating back 500 to 700 years before Christ. They dug it out of the trash. They had the authenticity verified by an Egyptian expert at the British Museum. They have connections. The rare figure was auctioned in London in February 2015. They thought it'd go for 20 grand. Somebody bought it for $80,000. To those, yeah, (laughs) to those who would not consider the cat, and I actually told my wife, I wonder if that thing made it through one of our rummage shells that we have at the mission house (laughs) and got donated and somehow made its way to Cornwall. But to those that did not consider the, uh, the cat, they missed out on a little bit of money. But... To those who fail to consider Jesus, there's a lot more at stake. 
Scripture points to us, points us in two directions on what we are to consider about Jesus. And the first is Jesus as the apostle. And this is unique. This is the only time in Scripture that Jesus is called the apostle. It's been used to describe the apostle Paul and disciples of well, uh, as well, but the word apostle means messenger, an envoy, typically a king's messenger. And to qualify as an apostle, there's three unique things. One, you must be sent by someone else. Two, you must have a specific mission. And three, you must have the power and the authority to accomplish the mission. Jesus fits this description perfectly. Who was he sent by? The Father. In fact, in 1 John 4.10, we're told this is love, not that we love God, but that he loves us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Who is the initiator of the go? God. He is the one who sent Jesus. What was his mission? Savior of the world. John the Baptist tells us in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And as David told us last week in Hebrews 2, Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. Jesus' mission was us. And on what power and authority did this apostle speak? Matthew 17.6 tells us that while Peter was speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a, and a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, "This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him." Jesus speaking in Matthew 28:18, right there with the great commission, said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." And Jesus backs us up in John 14, 6. I am the way, Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. The most incredible apostle we have ever heard of. Again, in Hebrews 3, 2, it reads, Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And remembering that the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers, this would immediately trigger something in the Jewish believers. They understood what the high priest was. You and I, we still have to dig through a little bit and see, well, how does that impact us? But back then, that was a day-to-day terminology that impacted them and their faith toward God. The high priest to a Jewish believer would carry so much more weight Because every year a high priest would enter the holies of holies to represent the people on the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would remove his priestly garments and put on a white robe. And then he would sacrifice a bull for his sins. And then he would bring in two goats. And he would cast lots. And and when the lots fell on one goat, that is the goat that would be sacrificed for the sins of the people. And on the other goat... That is the one that would be called the scapegoat. So on the Day of Atonement, the blood would be shed, and the priest would walk into the holies of holies and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And then he would lay his hands on this scapegoat and place both hands and symbolically transfer the sins of all the people upon this goat, and then they would let it loose, symbolizing the sin being removed from the people. 
Hebrews 9 gives us a picture of how this relates to Jesus, our great high priest, of what he did when he offered himself. And it actually backs up again what John the Baptist said when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It does work. Hebrews 9.11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience and dead works to serve the living God? So here we see how Jesus fulfilled that statement as the high priest, the sacrifice of himself, the role of atoning for the sins of the people, but this time once and for all. The Jewish believers that were written to would pick this up quickly, that there is a new high priest and one that will never die. So the two main things that we're being told to consider about Jesus would be his message as the apostle and his sacrifice as our great high priest. And then we kind of change gears and get into verses 2 through 6 and build upon the superiority of Jesus to Moses. Now, chapter 1 lays down that Jesus is God. He is the exact representation of his being. We're told in chapter 2 that the angels worshipped Jesus. And we're given more description on how Jesus laid his life down as the great high priest. And now in 3, we touch on a hot topic button for the Jewish believers. Moses, who is up here? But as we jump into this, you're going to see some incredible things. Listen. Verse 2. Hebrews 3, he, Jesus, was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much of the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. So we remember this is not a This is not a shellacking of Moses. Moses was one of God's most most faithful Old Testament servants. I mean, this is the guy who led the people out of Egypt, led the Israelites out. This is is the Moses who was there when the sea parted. This is the Moses that met face-to-face with God on the mountain while the people shuddered down below. This is not a whacking This is a calibration to make sure that Moses isn't in the most supreme position, that Jesus is in that position. They're both positive examples of faithfulness, the faithfulness of Jesus and the faithfulness of Moses. 
Jesus has more glory as a son over Moses as a servant. And when I first read this about a week and a half ago, this image popped in my head, and I went, I wonder if I can share that. And I kept reading, and I went back, and I read, and I studied, and this image just kept coming back, but I was a little nervous about sharing this image with you. Because in sharing this image that I'm about to show you, it's going to reveal something. I'm going to be a little bit transparent about my TV viewing habits. <laughs> because this image popped in, I go, that, that's, that's perfect. And so, because I'm sharing, I want to be transparent. <laughs> this is the image that popped in my head. And the TV show that I went, hey, there's a similarity between that. Downton Abbey. <laughs> now, I must confess, at first, when I started to watch this TV show, which is a very a deep, deep TV show, <laughs> my wife had told me that there was a show on the BBC network. And I thought, well, that sounds fancy. That sounds like something that would help me say, honey, it's not all about action shows in our house. I can sit down and watch those type of shows. So we started to sit down and watch this show uh, called Downton Abbey, and it's all about that big house that's in the back. So if you haven't seen it, it's all about Downton Abbey, which is this estate, and, and, and how it's, you have the estate going here, you have the owners of the house here, and you have the servants, and there is a ton of servants. It's almost like as many servants as they have here, or the cast members keep changing, I can't tell. But there's a lot of servants. But you have a head servant, you have the head butler over the house. And I don't even know if he's up there. There he is, he's on the far left. Thank you for those of you who are familiar with the show. So up on the far left is Mr. Carson. Mr. Carson is the head butler. He is over all the servants, but he is still a servant. And then over to the right, sitting out in front, is Mr. Crawley. He owns the house, he takes care of the house. He is the owner of the house. So we see a big difference. It doesn't mean there's less honor toward Mr. Carson as a person. He's just in a totally different position of authority. So please, don't judge that. <laughs> the good news is the show is over. The bad news is there's a movie coming out. <laughs> and I swore I would never watch that stupid show because it became a soap opera. They tricked you with the refined titles and the elegance and... And then they suck you in. It's just a soap opera. So uh, be careful of that stuff. <laughs> in, in our comparison of Jesus and Moses, here, we'll get them off the screen. <laughs> there, that works. Sorry, I don't want that image to last too long. In our comparison of Jesus and Moses, Jesus is not only the owner of the house, he is over everything. That's where that comparison fails. Jesus is over his house, but guess what? Jesus is creator of all, and he is over everything. While Moses is still a servant of God, but he was over the Israelites. Jesus is here. Moses is here. Not to offend, but just to recognize the superiority of Jesus. To put the two into perspective. So now we're going to transfer from an idea and a thought that were two positive examples of the faithfulness of Moses and Jesus, and to the examples of of the lack of faith and the faithlessness of the Israelites. So take a look at verse 7, and we're going to read through 11. 
Therefore, again, an important word, because of all this we just learned about Jesus and how superior he is to Moses, because he is the apostle, because he is our high priest, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me, by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. And therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is the warning. Don't do this. Don't harden your hearts. Don't provoke the Lord. And that they are the Israelites under the leadership of Moses. They tried God and tested God when they saw his works for 40 years and said, no, it's not enough. We don't believe. We don't trust. We won't listen. We don't know you. So what did they see? And I thought how awesome it would have been to grab someone from children's ministry because I can tell you the kids will tell you what the Israelites saw and what they experienced. So here's just a from the hip. They were rescued from Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea miraculously as Egypt's armies pursued them. They witnessed Moses on Mount Sinai with the thunder and the clouds and the fear of God. They received the Ten Commandments. They were given bread daily, and when they complained, they were given meat, quail, and then when they complained, they were given water. In the desert, they were given water. Their clothes never wore out, and I thought, or ever went out of style. I don't know if that was a thing, but for 40 years, can you imagine going, I really wish this shirt would wear out because it's so not in style anymore. But I think that was a blessing. So not only do their clothes not go out of style, their feet, this one hit me, their feet never got sore or swollen at all from all those years of walking. Can I tell you after a week of jam pack, I'm sore. <laughs> Somehow I ended up in games and this is not a game leader body. So that means I'm running around and when, when lunchtime hit, I'm like, I need two Motrin and a bottle of water and I need to put my feet up. And that was just from four 25-minute rotations, let alone 40 years of wandering in the desert. So it's an amazing, these small miracles that people just go, eh. It's just a coincidence that we're not sore, Right? So they experienced these incredible victories in war because God did all the fighting. And how do they respond? Grumble, 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 complain, 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 seeking after other stuff, trying to be satisfied with sinful desires and possessions and what everybody else is doing over there in that other community. Even to the point that they were brought to the edge of the promised land and they said, uh-uh. But this is why you left Egypt. And they said, no, we don't trust it. Listen to this, because you know, sometimes you wouldn't believe it unless you heard it. Well, not you. Mm. Oh, yeah, maybe that might be it. Okay, if I don't get the PowerPoint right, don't worry. You can just listen. But I wanted you to hear their own testimony. These are their words. This isn't someone saying, you know, hey, I heard this. No, listen to their words that were captured and then impressed upon the writer. In Numbers 14, verse 1, Then all the community raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. 
And all the Israelites murmured against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had perished in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us into this land only to be killed by the sword, that our wives and our children should become plunder? Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader to return to Egypt. Really? Why is Downton (laughs) Abbey... Jeff, can you just take control? Pat, I'm sorry for laughing when you had issues with your remote. I'm just going to turn it off and not even be tempted to touch it. Apparently, I keep going backwards. So then in verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell down with their faces to the ground before the whole assembled community of the Israelites. And Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, two of those who had investigated the land, remember, those are the two that said, we can do this, God has given us the land. They tore their garments and they said to the whole community of the Israelites, the land we passed through to investigate is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land that is flowing with milk and honey. honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. They're nothing. Their protection has turned aside for them, but the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And verse 10, however, the whole community threatened to stone them. They would rather kill the servants of God then receive the blessings of God. Is that a hard heart? But the Lord shows up. It says, but the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tent of the meeting to remind them, don't touch them. They're my obedient servants. But they were at that point that they would rather shake a fist at God, kill the servants of God, and still, instead of receiving the blessings of God. That is a hard heart. Have you ever come across someone who had such a hard heart? Maybe they're not so outspoken against God, but maybe they're outspoken against other people. A week and a half ago, I came across a gentleman who was 56 years old, a homeless guy right over here, B18 by the children's wing. That's where they like to congregate. His name was Thomas, and when I found him, I put my hand on him. I said, are you okay? Because he was laying on the ground, and he had a dog. And he's crying. He goes, I'm out of control. He goes, I need help. Right? And so at that moment, I go, Lord, help me to listen. Help me to know what is the best way to love this guy. Because we come across different people in different situations all the time. So I begin to listen, and he's shaking. And he tells me that he's having withdrawals. He's an alcoholic, and he hasn't had a drink in three hours. Three hours, and he's shaking like this. He is broken. He is remorseful. He knows the stuff he's done is wrong, and he goes, I need help. He goes, can you call someone for me? This person knows me. Tell them I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Ask them if they would forgive me. And I said, okay, he gives me the number. And it goes nowhere. It's an actual, it's a dead number. It looked right. It should have gone through, but it just sat there. And now I'm asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? What, how do I help this guy? But then he mentions a name. And he's mumbling and he's slurring. And so I pull out my phone and I Google the name. And up pops an article from 2009 about this lady and how she helped the homeless people in Costa Mesa, which is where he came from. So I said, okay. And the article gave her email address. And I'm like, sweet. I don't know if she's going to respond today or next week. So I love technology. I emailed her. 
within three to four minutes, she calls me and says, hi, Mike, this is Linda. I know Thomas very, very, very well. And I said, help me. How do I love him? I go, because I think love comes in all different shapes and sizes. She begins to tell me that for the last three years, she has poured into his life, set up his disability and his insurance, um, helped him get into rehabs, helped him get into detox, brought him into the church. They proclaim the gospel. He's come to their church services. They've poured everything they can into him. She's even put her name on his dog license so that if he goes off tilt or goes into a rehab, she can watch his dog. That is a loving person who is pouring out on this person. His first response was, yes, okay, what? And she says, get him to detox. Call this number. There's one down the street. They're going to ask him to probably wait a day before he comes in, but call and initiate the program. I said, you got it. So I have the phone and I hand it to him. That's part of what we do when we work with people is we want them to have ownership. You make the call. So he makes the call and they say, call us in 12 hours. So I needed to call him at six o'clock, six o'clock in the morning the next day. So I said, okay, here's some food. Here's a blanket. Just shelter right here, right in this little alcove, and I will come back at 6, and we'll make that phone call. I come back at 6 a.m., and he's a different person. At 6 a.m., he was not repentant. At 6 a.m., he began to put down Linda. She doesn't care about me. She doesn't love me. She doesn't know me. Why would she tell me to go to detox? Why would she tell me to go through that? That's going to be painful. I don't like her. And immediately this picture of the Israelites that you say, look, you're broken. You go, God, help me. God, help me. And God steps in. And then moments later, God, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't trust you. It's an unbelievable story that talks about the hardness of people's hearts. But in regards to the Israelites, what was God's response? An incredible, hard-hearted response to God. And now when we turn back and we look at Hebrews 3, verse 10, we understand God's response. Verse 10 reads, Therefore, God speaking, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall never enter my rest. These are crushing words of truth and judgment from God. He is spot on on his judgment. Unbelief unbelief brings on the judgment of God. 40 years of watching the works of God. Their continual unbelief of what God had said and done hardened their hearts. And that is so key. Their continual unbelief of what God had said and what God had done had hardened their hearts. To the point that God said, I'm done. So how do we protect our hearts? As believers, as we listen to this and we go, okay, could I be in danger of having a hard heart? What does this passage tell me? It has to give me something. It can't just be, hey, don't harden your hearts. But what's so awesome when you, when you sit and you soak in God's word, you begin to see that the answer is there. Look at verse 6, Hebrews chapter 3. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. 
You want to have a soft heart. You want to know God because that's what God said the Israelites didn't. They didn't know him. They didn't know his ways. You want to make sure you have a soft heart and you know God. Hold fast. Hold fast. Don't let go. It's like putting a rope around and you're holding on for dear life. It is the strength grip. It is holding on saying, I will not let go. I'm holding on to this confidence and this hope, but where is my confidence placed? That is the simplicity of the gospel. Where is my confidence? Who's my confidence in who? Christ, the apostle, with the message from God the Father. My hope or my confidence is in what he has said. What about my hope? My hope is in what he has done as my great high priest. That what he did in atoning for my sins satisfied the righteous requirements of God, deeming me forgiven, giving me sonship and adoption into God's family. So when we look at verse 6 on where our confidence and our hope should be in the words of Christ as the apostle and in the works of Christ as our high priest, then we come back to verse 1 on consider. You see, that when we consider Christ, the apostle and great high priest, our confidence in Christ skyrockets and our hope in his sacrifice strengthens our grip and tells us, tells us we are part of his family. We are part of the house of God. So how often should I be considering Christ? Is it a one-time thing? Do I just examine it and put it on the shelf like that stupid cat? At some point, you go, yes, we've certified it, and it goes here. That is not how our relationship with Christ goes. It is ongoing. In fact, I thought it would really, really be good to listen to what did God tell the Israelites. Can you go to the last slide, I think? There you go. Deuteronomy 11.18 says, You shall therefore, God is speaking, you shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Does that sound like a weekly consideration of Jesus or a daily consideration. If the Israelites who saw God do miraculous things drifted, how important is it for us to daily consider Christ? Daily be reminded. When I read this passage, it's up in my office right across. So every time I look up from my desk, it says, consider Christ. Don't get so busy doing the work of God that you forget God. Consider Christ. Daily. Through worship, through the word, through prayer, through praise, through thanksgiving, we weave Jesus into everything. Sitting down, standing up, walking, talking, it should be coming out of us. Because we have the thing that actually matters more than an Egyptian cat. We have Jesus, our great high priest, the apostle whose value we can't even comprehend, should we not consider him on a daily basis? So I thought, let me close with a word of prayer. And the band's gonna come up and just give us a chance
to consider Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we are amazed at you. Jesus, we are in awe of you. And we consider you and the words that you spoke and the works you performed as our great high priest. Oh, we praise you. We stop and we are in awe of you and consider the greatness of you, Jesus the Christ. Be with us this week. Be with, be with us now, even as we consider. Probe, dig through, reveal our hearts, Lord. May our hearts be saturated in your words and in the memories of your works so that our hearts would not grow hard. Our confidence is in your words and in your works, Jesus. You truly are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In your name, Jesus, amen.